Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is All Things Are Possible by Pastor Sean Wood. I pray that faith would certainly arise in our hearts. And Lord, uh, as Ezekiel said, as the word, as, as the Lord spoke to me, his spirit entered into me. That's our prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you'd like to take your seats and for those that have got the uh, hard copy this morning or the soft copy, whatever, whatever way you find it, or maybe it's imprinted by the Holy Spirit inside of you, turn please to Mark chapter 9. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit this morning. I have to confess, I don't normally talk about my preparation when it comes to sermons and preps, but I have to let you know that I actually had a, a real, what I thought was a really humdinger of a message. Uh, I'd been thinking about it and mulling over it, and God has a way of just moving those things around. And of course, um, a, a lot has happened in the last few weeks, but I believe that today's word is a word from God. I, this morning, if you leave here with nothing else this morning, I'm going to clarify this sentence as we work our way through. But I want everybody to know in this place this morning, if you leave with nothing else, leave with this line. All things are possible, but not everything is guaranteed. Happy birthday, Jeanette. Turns 90 today. You don't, you don't look... Yesterday, you don't look... Yeah, round of applause, well done. As we work through today's passage, we're going to clarify what that means. And uh, I'm going to be... uh, This morning, uh, I'm going to be quite open. If If you've been told today, in any circumstantial situation, if you have ever been told... You didn't have enough faith. (laughs) You will leave here with a different perspective today, I pray. We're going to deal with a real confronting passage. And uh, Mark chapter 9 is the account of the transfiguration. It begins with the account of the transfiguration. And of course, for those that know, Jesus goes to the top of the mountain and at the top of the mountain there, he's uh, transfigured or metamorphosed. It's like caterpillar butterfly. It's like for all this time, they'd seen a caterpillar, but all of a sudden the veil was dropped and they saw the glory of the Lord. Three disciples were there. How many people have had mountaintop moments like that where they've said, you know what, this is so good, I want to build a tent here. That's what Peter said. Peter said, let us just, let us stay here forever, Jesus. This is so good here right now. I just want to stay here. And Jesus, of course, we know, takes them back down the mountain. What does that teach us? It teaches us that life is full of mountaintop experiences, but also the realities of the valley. And when they come back down off the mountain, there is a reality that faces probably maybe even many of us today. And when the Bible uses the word healing, it speaks more of wholeness. So what do I mean by that? It's not just your physical body. It's, it's your emotional condition. It's, it's your spiritual condition. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we were healed, is a projection towards, it's a messianic prophecy, and it's more about our spiritual wholeness. And it doesn't matter what you're facing here this morning. You may need wholeness in your marriage. You may need wholeness in your body. You may need spiritual wholeness this morning. That's what healing means. 
Verse 14 of chapter 9, it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Who are these scribes? You'll bump these guys as you work your way through the New Testament Gospels. But the, the, the scribes were the officials of the law. They were the, they were the guys you went to. How, when you wanted to know how does the law kind of apply to our daily lives, how do these rules and regulations apply, you would go and seek that knowledge from the scribes. The, the scribes were full of head knowledge. I love the words of A.W. Tozer when he says, uh, he's speaking in the 50s, by the way, and he should be alive today, A.W. Tozer, because his words permeate the church scene today. But he says, we need less scribes and more prophets. Because a scribe will tell you what they have learnt and have in their mind, but a prophet will speak from what they have seen. We need less scribes and more prophets. And they were arguing with somebody. Who were they arguing with? And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him. That's Jesus. And they greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And that question is not aimed at the disciples. It's aimed at everybody. Because we know that because the answer comes from the crowd. Something's happening at the foot of the mountain. An argument has ensued. A crowd has gathered. The scribes think they know what's going on. The disciples think they know what's going on. What are you arguing with them about? And Jesus immediately disperses the argument. And verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Never a truer word has been spoken in scripture. Because without Jesus, none of us are able. What's going to become interesting is what difference it makes when the presence of Jesus comes on the scene. It disperses the confusion, it quiets the arguments, something begins to happen. They were not able. Verse 19, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? He's speaking to everybody right now. He's not speaking to the disciples alone. He's speaking to everybody when he says faithless generation. He's speaking to the times of uh, religious and religiosity. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This is, this is pretty desperate reality, valley kind of stuff. Verse 21, and Jesus asked the father, this question, by the time we're finished, is going to become enormously important. Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to him? And often... We see that in Scripture, Jesus or God asks questions. And as we've clarified before, when God asks a question, he's not looking for information. He already knows the answer to the question. He is trying to get us to answer the question. Because it's something that we need to know. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. It's a very, very interesting line that continues onwards. I want to read you this sentence as it is in the Bible, and then I want to read it to you again later on and see how much it changes. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That sentence there is filled with unbelief because of one word, if. Let me read you this sentence again. Let me see how everything changes in a moment when we remove just one word. What would happen if we were, what would happen if the father had have said this, but you can do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, with an exclamation mark, if, if you can, if, if I can. One of the big problems here is, and, and that many of us face, that this father faces, is he doesn't know who he's talking to. He hasn't got a revelation of who he's talking to. Jesus says, but if you can, I love this next line, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible, but anybody that's done life for about 5.2 minutes understands something when it comes to God. All things are possible, but not everything is guaranteed. Whenever we pray for whatever it is that we pray for, don't we have a blueprint in our mind of how we think God should just go about doing everything? God, restore my marriage, and immediately that we pray that, don't we think about how God's got to fix the other person? Or when we think about God, uh, I need you to miraculously sort out my financial situation. And, and, and immediately we, we, we think, do I need to buy a lotto ticket? Do I, do I... No. What scripture teaches us, what the gospels teach us, is that God doesn't work according to our blueprints. God doesn't operate inside the boxes that we construct. All things are possible. I actually think that's a beautiful verse. When you cast your trust and attention, because that's what believe means, when you cast all of your reliance, when you cast all of your trust, when, when you come to the place of God, I lift my hands to you and I trust that you know better, but I trust that everything's possible. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than you could ask, think or imagine. Comes the words from the apostle that was shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, imprisoned. If you can, says Jesus, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I've got a confession to make. I've prayed that prayer a number of times in my Christian life. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Verse 25, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. We are going to address the elephant in the room. We're coming to the elephant in the room right in a moment. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples are now going to have a talk about that elephant. I don't know about anybody else, but I know even recently I've asked myself this question. 
We, we often search inside of ourselves because if we're honest with ourselves this morning, sometimes there's that elephant in the room that sounds a little bit like this question. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some translations add fasting to that. It's interesting, uh, as we answer that elephant in the room, by the way, this morning I want to deal with that elephant in the room. I want to introduce the truth that all things are possible. I want to deal with the elephant in the room and then I want to move to a place, well, how do we move forward? How should we conduct our lives? How should we approach God? And we'll get to that in a moment. But for those that know of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great, great preacher, early 1900s preacher. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I remember listening to a message he preached on this passage. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was trying to himself to kind of unpack what this meant. And he said, you know what? He said, the best analogy is the disciples come and they, they're arguing with the scribes and, and they've prayed for this young boy. We need to remember that Jesus deputized the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 8, we see that they did actually cast out demons beforehand. So this is not a silly question. But in this instance, they could not. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says what Jesus was saying when he said this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting is, this is, remember the question? How long has this been happening? Since he was a boy. This has been going on for years. What Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says beautifully, he says, you know what, this, what Jesus was saying to the disciples, this is so deep, such an entrenched problem that all your regular methods don't work. Hold with that thought for a moment. Anybody, anybody ever felt like that? Any, anybody ever felt like I've come to the end of everything I know? Anybody ever come to the end of I, I, I can't work this out anymore? I've tried everything I know to try. I've, I've prayed, Richard, in Old King James, wherever you are, for the really spiritual people that pray in Old King James and, and the these and the I've done everything I can. I've shouted louder so God would hear me. I, 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 I went and got a whole crowd to pray. And all my usual methods didn't work. But what a difference it makes when Jesus comes on the scene. Now the interesting thing is when we read this in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says it directly. Bear with me now. Jesus, they come and ask Jesus the question, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your lack of faith. So everybody's right. But then he goes on to say, and we, everybody stops there and doesn't read the rest of the passage. Because Jesus goes on and says, you know what, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, two millimetres, You can say to this mountain, be uprooted and cast into the sea. And in another place, in Luke chapter 17, the disciples come to Jesus and say, increase our faith. Great prayer, right? 
Increase our faith. And I want to challenge you this morning that faith isn't measured in volumes. Size. This morning. Because why, why would Jesus say, you haven't got enough faith, but then talk about a mustard seed? It's the smallest thing. Every time Jesus speaks about a mustard seed, he then turns the analogy to the, the mustard seed, which is two millimetres. See that tree, he says, it grows to over 20 to 30 feet. Jesus says, using the mustard seed analogy, he goes on and says, you know what? He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. When it's planted inside of you, it takes over. So what's Jesus trying to challenge us with in these words? Where does the challenge rest for all of us? Do we need to just read more of the Bible so we get more faith? So we can get whatever we want? Uh, Are all the coat-waving preachers right? I want to ask you a question this morning. If you've got a two millimetre mustard seed and you've got a 30-foot sized mustard tree, what's the difference between the mustard seed and the mustard tree? where you plant that seed. What Jesus is challenging us, what Jesus is challenging them is, it's not the size of your faith. It's not capacity. It's not area mass. It's where you put your faith. Have a look at what happens when Jesus enters the scene. All things become possible. Whatever place you find yourself in today, if, if you will place even the smallest amount of faith, in the person of Jesus Christ, all things immediately become possible. How do we navigate? How how can we possibly navigate this life? What does that look like for us? I I, want to bring you to a passage in the uh, prophet Daniel in a moment. But every time we have a healing service, and for those that are here maybe for the first time today, uh, we intentionally make space. That is, uh, every month that has a five-week, every month that's a five-week month, we intentionally make space because we believe that by making space for God, that he might just move. Praise his wonderful name. And this morning, uh, every time we come up to the the healing services. I spend time, I, I read every single one of the miracles in the Gospels. Every single one of them. Every, every person that was healed of a demon, every leper that was cleansed, no lepers were healed, by the way. Every one of them were cleansed. Uh, all the lepers that were cleansed, uh, all the paralytic, all of that. And I find, because we're trying to find formulas, aren't we? How, how do we navigate this life? How do we, how, what, give us a formula, give us an ABC, pastor. We just, need a, we just need a to-do list so that we can work our way through how we navigate life. And, and how do we step into these things? And how can we pray for healing? And I found something enormously confronting, that there is no formula. I found that there's only one commonality with every single one of the miracles. And it's not faith. Jesus came to people who had no faith. Some people came to Jesus asking and pleading him. Other people Jesus just walked up to. The blind man in John chapter 9. The guy by the pool of Siloam in John chapter 5 didn't even know Jesus. Jesus walks up to the guy in John chapter 5 and says, do you want to be healed? Well, yes, but no one's here to take me to the pool. The one commonality in every single one of the miracles is Jesus. And a young man came and had coffee with me 
this week. And with all that they're going through, looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know how anybody goes through this without Jesus. In that statement there is an amazing amount of faith. I want to talk to you today, John, uh, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to move to uh, finishing off with a couple of songs this morning for those that need prayer. How do we navigate this? I love this passage. If you want to know, well, what does faith look like? How do I, where do I set my compass in all of this? How can I set my compass before God? I, I, I want to talk to you about three men that were facing fiery furnaces. Anybody here feel like they're facing a fiery furnace this morning? Anybody feel like they're standing on the edge of a fiery furnace? Well, I have some good news for you. Uh, what happens in Daniel chapter 3 is that Nebuchadnezzar builds this enormous statue made of gold, and he demands that everybody bows down and worships. And of course, uh, the little dibber-dobbers that run and tell Nebuchadnezzar, look, there's three of these Hebrew boys, that, you know, every time you blow those trumpets, nobody bows down. These guys, they're just doing their own thing over here. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar finds out. Let's pick it up where uh, Nebuchadnezzar confronts them. Verse 15 of chapter 3. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and even the drums, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What an arrogant statement. Read on to chapter 4 and I bet you Nebuchadnezzar wishes he took that line back. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, not Abednego, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I love this response. If you want to know what faith looks like this morning, if you want to know what a life of faith looks like, have a look at what these guys say. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Oh, okay, why? Because if this be so, or other translations say, if our God exists, our God whom we serve is able. And I want everybody here to grab hold of those words because three men are standing before being thrown into a fiery furnace and they are saying, our God is able. And I want to tell you this morning, whatever you're facing, God is able. Able. No matter how bad down the road you think your marriage might be, God is able. No matter how many doctors and everything you've consulted, God is able. However, you remember that all things are possible but not everything's guaranteed? Well, how many people reckon that's a statement of faith? I reckon that's a great statement of faith. We're not going to worship you, Nebuchadnezzar. Can, you, can anybody hear any doubt in those words? Can anybody hear any, any lack of faith? These guys are filled with faith. We have no need to answer you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Verse 18, most powerful three words in the book of Daniel. But if not. Hold this thought for a moment. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. That's summertime, Queensland. (laughs) 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fire. I love how this story is going to end. Uh, Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Notice that God is able to save us from this furnace. God can deliver us. God could wipe you out right now, Nebuchadnezzar. But instead we get thrown into the furnace. Wow. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men that took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego up there. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. I love how this finishes. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and he declared to his counsellors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and they said to the king, true, O king. And he answered, he said, but I see four men. Unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar is the only pagan king recorded that is converted. Go on and read chapter four. Took some time, by the way. I want to sum up this morning as I begin to ask the worship team to come back. I want to sum up this morning that whatever you're facing and wherever you find yourself this morning, God is able. God can rescue you from the fiery furnace. God can miraculously heal you. God can do those things this morning. And we want to pray with you if that's you. But sometimes, just sometimes, the greatest miracles are right in the middle of the furnace. These three men would walk out of the furnace and the only thing that suffered any harm was what bound them. Their clothes, their hair. Nothing was touched except for the ropes that bound them. And wherever you find yourself this morning, we want to pray with you because I believe in the God of the miraculous. I believe that my God is able. And if you're here this morning, you say, I'm right in the middle of the furnace, Pastor. I know that the greatest miracles can happen right in the middle of the furnace. Let's pray. And then we're going to open up the front. And if you need prayer, the prayer team is ready. Father, as we come this morning, we come empty and we come surrendered. I pray that you would bring each and every single one of us to the same place you brought those three men in Babylon. Father, you are able. But if not, we still stand and we still worship you. We still look to you and we still reach out to you. I pray this morning, Father, wherever anybody finds themselves, whatever measure of faith we feel we have, Lord God, however small we may feel it is, however insignificant we may feel it is, we know, Lord God, that when we plant that mustard seed into you, all things become possible. 
We cast our eyes to Jesus and reach out to you this morning. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.